Rafer Guzman. Kristen Meinzer. It's so nice to see you again. Yeah, where you been? I missed you. I was in St. Louis. Ah, that's right. And you were out hanging out with Diddy and Martha Stewart, I understand, out in the Hamptons area. <laughs> I don't think, are they there anymore? I think No, that's like so 10 years ago. That's, who's, yeah. who's in the Hamptons now? Uh, Alec Baldwin. Oh, um, yeah. Christy yeah. Brinkley. Uh, she might be out there. Uh, yeah, it was the Hamptons International Film Festival, 23rd year. Uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, the usual celebrities. Uh, who else is out there? Isabella, Isabella Rossellini, I think, oh, has a place I out love there. Her. They've all got a place out there, oh, which yeah. is why it's great. Bob Balaban's always kicking around. I was hanging out at a hotel, and uh, Morgan Freeman came shuffling down the hall with his you know, jeans and his ball cap. When you turn on the faucets in the hotels in the Hamptons, does champagne come out? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Not at my hotel, but others perhaps. Uh, yeah, here's what I saw. I saw Room, the new uh, movie with uh, Brie Larson as the woman who's trapped in the room. Um, Suffragette. The one with Carrie Mulligan, Getting Meryl Streep. Lots Street. of buzz, yeah. Lots of buzz. I saw Spotlight, the one about the Boston Globe reporters who break open the Catholic Church. Scandal, Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton playing an editor, a newspaper editor yet again. Mm. Um, what else did I see? Oh, the new Michael Moore, Where to Invade Next. Michael Ooh. Moore spoke there. I saw Truth. Dan Rather spoke. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Um, Emily Blunt was there. She Did had... you sleep at all? This is crazy how many movies you saw. I was there for five days, and I saw a lot. I think I saw 10 films over wow. the five days. That's in addition to all the other, like, you know, uh, things I was covering. Uh, oh, I interviewed Charlie Kaufman, uh, whose new film, uh, Anomalisa, is a stop-motion animated film. That was totally fascinating. Um, wow. Yeah, it was a good time. I, I had a lot of fun. Oh, we'll be reviewing all those movies in the coming weeks and months, and um, I'm very curious. Off mic, I'll ask you a few more questions. But we don't want to give it all away to the listeners. That's right. Now, I have to say, just as an update from when I was in St. Louis for the takeaway. Yes. I learned a little something about one of my favorite movies. Which one? Oh, Meet Me in St. Louis. Of course. Meet Me in St. Louis. One of the best musicals ever made. That Vincent Minnelli magic. All those colors. I just love it. And has Judy Garland ever been better? She's just beautiful in it. She's magical. The songs are great. But it has always had, in my opinion, the scariest Halloween scene of any movie. Because the rest of the movie is all like, oh, I like the boy next door. I'm riding a trolley. Oh, daddy, <laughs> welcome home from work. I love St. Louis. And then there's this Halloween scene where Margaret O'Brien, little girl, is out there trick-or-treating. And it is just violent mayhem. It looks like there's a riot going on in St. Louis. And what did you find? How, how did you find something out about this? So I was talking with somebody in St. Louis who was explaining to me that... The St. Louis tradition is you cannot get a treat unless you play a trick. Unless you play a trick. Um, Yes, you have to do something horrible or scary or tell a ridiculous joke or soap people's windows or throw a flower in their faces or, you know, bust up their pumpkins or just act. Just do something that's a trick. Otherwise, you don't get that candy. I thought it was the opposite where you... you it's you, not trick someone, or treat there. It's trick and a treat. Yeah. That's what everyone says. Knock, knock, trick and treat. Yeah. Now you're going to have to rewatch Meet Me in St. Louis and you'll see this scene and you'll think, oh my God. That doesn't make any sense. Knock, knock. I've stabbed you. Where's my candy? <laughs> I don't get that. I thought you're supposed to stab the person if you didn't get the candy. <laughs> Oh, we both learned so much while we were we, away from each other, Rafer. We sure did. We sure did. <laughs> All right, Rafer. So enough about last week and what we did last week. Let's get to this week's offerings. Yes, we've got Bridge of Spies, the new Steven Spielberg, Coen Brothers, Tom Hanks movie uh, set in the Cold War based on a true story. And 
not based on a true story in any way, Crimson Peak, the new Guillermo del Toro horror film about a young American girl who goes to live in a haunted mansion in England. A uh, little, little programming and counter-programming there for the week, I think. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about those in a minute. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Brafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Date. So, Kristen, let's kick things off with the big release, Bridge of Spies. Oh, yes. Now, this is a big billing sort of movie. We got all the big names here. We have Steven Spielberg, who's the director. We have the writers, Joel and Ethan Cohen. Perhaps you've heard of them. Yes. And we have the star. His name is Mr. Tom Hanks, I believe. Heard of him. Is that correct? Yes. And then... In this film, which is all based on real events, Tom Hanks is playing an attorney who is enlisted to defend a spy who's found on U.S. grounds. He's a spy from the Soviet Union, an artist. He just seems like he's some guy who likes to do oil paintings yeah. and landscapes and so on. But no, he's suspected of being a spy, and he needs to have a defense attorney. And so Tom Hanks comes in, and he does it, but much to the chagrin of his family and his community. Here's a clip. You can't accuse Abel of being a traitor. He's not an American. Listen to yourself. You're defending him already. I'm hungry. You're rehearsing it on me. You said you were just thinking about it. I am just thinking about it. It's very hard. Everyone deserves a defense. Every person matters. Jim, what do we deserve? Do you know how people will look at us? The family of a man trying to free a traitor? Now, of course, defending this guy is just the start of things. He doesn't just defend him. He then, not long after has to negotiate a prisoner trade. That's right. So we have to return Abel, who is the Russian spy, back to the Soviet Union in exchange for the return of a U.S. pilot who was shot down in, in the Soviet Union. And those prisoners must be exchanged on the Bridge of Spies. That's right. All right, Rafer, tell me what you thought about this. Well, uh, I think this is a classically Spielberg film. You know, it's uh, very handsome looking, uh, very nicely directed. Uh, the costumes look great. The wardrobes are perfect. The sets looked fantastic. Um, takes place initially first in New York. Uh, Tom Hanks plays uh, James Donovan. He's a Brooklyn insurance lawyer um, who initially can't understand why on earth he's been chosen to defend a Russian spy. He's usually, you know, haggling over car accidents and things. Um, but he does this defending and then eventually, as you say, when he gets to the point where the CIA says, oh, why don't you negotiate this prisoner swap? Um, he has to go to uh, East Germany and make this, make this swap. And uh, we should say also there's a second American prisoner, a young Yale student who's been yes. jailed by the East Germans. And because Tom Hanks is such a terrific negotiator, he decides, I want a twofer. I want the, I want the pilot <laughs> and I want that, I want that young kid. Um, I think this movie um, has some of the drawbacks, in a way, of a Spielberg film. It's very Capra-esque. It's very Hollywood. Um, and even though I think it is um, drawing a lot of parallels to the present, it's, it also is kind of on politically safe ground because it takes place in the past, and these are all past current events. It's not topical in that sense. But I think Spielberg's got a great way of... Um, looking back to the past for lessons and for wisdom. Um, and again, you might say it's safe to go back and look at something like Amistad of the Color Purple and say, you know, oh, what, you're not really stepping out on any political limbs there by saying, you know, hooray for civil rights or whatever, or slavery is bad or something like that. But I do think if you look at this movie about a lawyer who is defending a spy, 
giving that spy due process, even though nobody else wants to give him due process, you've got a real parallel between mm-hmm. what's going on here in America with enemy combatants or however we're classifying them mm-hmm. and not Guantanamo giving those. Or, exactly. Yeah, or what's happening with the government spying on us. At what point do our civil liberties end right. in exchange for us to feel safe in what may or may not be a threatening world? Right. And at, and at what point do we decide, oh, you know, our constitution, our legal system, let's just kind of throw that out because we know these guys are bad guys. That's not how it works. Um, and or at least it's not how it's supposed to. And I think Spielberg captures that very well and draws those parallels very well without beating you over the head with it. And I think the movie works also just as like a nice, dramatic, glossy, semi-thriller. I think it's fun, compelling, enjoyable. Tom Hanks is great. Uh, I really enjoyed it. How about you? Yeah, I don't think that fun is the correct word, Rafer. I think that this movie moves a little bit too slow. And it's interesting you brought up the Capra-esque qualities of it because while it does have its heart in the right place like a Capra film, it lacks a lot of the charms. It's very slow. Hmm. It's it's almost two and a half hours long. It, it is long. It doesn't need to be. There's not a lot of action. There's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of slow-moving camera work. There, you know, and, and the camera work looks good. I must mm-hmm. say this is a very beautiful film, but it's so slow and so tired that to quote a friend of mine, he said it doesn't just feel as though the action is in 1957. It feels as though it was made in 1957. Oh, that's interesting. And, and I, I have to agree that. with him. I, I, I think it could have been trimmed by a good 25 minutes and uh, sped up a little bit. And and I just think more could have happened because this is kind of an exciting story that frequently feels like a flat conversation instead of an action story. That's interesting. I mean, well, you know, like we were saying, it's based on the it's based on a true story. It's the U-2 spy plane incident. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think there's probably only so much, so many liberties they can take um, with a story like that. But, um I don't know. I guess we've got a split decision. I thought I thought um, Bridge of Spies was actually a very, very good date. I don't think it's a knock it out of the park, oh my God, blow me away kind of date. But uh, I thought it was a really good, a really good piece of entertainment with uh, a message that I th- I thought was worth chewing on. Yeah. Whereas I thought that Bridge of Spies was a very so-so date, and in the grand scheme of things, and the giant oeuvre of Steven Spielberg movies, I don't think anyone's going to really think of this as one of his memorable films. move on to something a little bit spookier. You know, there's this thing called a Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak. Beware Crimson Peak. And you're supposed to beware of it. Yes. Yes. So, Rafer, tell us about Crimson Peak. Well, this is the new film by Guillermo del Toro, who did Pan's Labyrinth, of course, uh, his big hit. Uh, This stars Mia Wasikowska. She's a young American novelist, struggling novelist, living in early... And very rich. And very rich. Uh, She lives in early 20th century Buffalo. And, of course, at that time, no one took female novelists seriously. Um, And so she kind of uh, poo-poos the suitors that are coming after her because she wants to be, you know, an, an intellect and a novelist. She's got other things to do. But there's a newcomer in town, an Englishman named Sir Thomas Sharp, played by Tom Hiddleston. And he says all the right things. He loves her novel. He thinks she's very intelligent, very smart. And soon they're married and they go off to his mansion in uh, Cumberland, England, called Allerdale Hall. Here's a clip. She knows who I am and she wants me to leave. Nonsense, my dear. You're not going anywhere. You had a bad dream. You were sleepwalking. No, I'm afraid I shall go mad if I stay. My darling, you're imagining things. I think some fresh air would do you good. No, I have to leave. I have to get away from here. Edith, this is your home now. You have nowhere else to go. Oh, 
what a spooky mansion they live in. So spooky. And his sister, so spooky. Yes, Lucille, yes. played by Jessica Chastain. Oh, gosh, she's so stern. What's going on with her? And so and weird. Why is she always down there playing the piano? And yeah, She's got these keys that she always has with her, like 20 yes. of them, like a custodian for a building. Mm-hmm, but she all guards these, them very closely. Yeah, all these doors are locked. and You know, the mansion is on this piece of land that all this red clay is constantly leaking up from. Right. And it looks like blood. Yeah, it looks Not like Not even blood. subtle. Sort just, thick, you know, pools of blood. Thick, viscous blood. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it comes out of the pipes. It seeps out of the floorboards there in the mansion. Um, I have to say, uh, when I first got the uh, notes for this film, when the, when the uh, studio was uh, passing around the synopsis for it, the synopsis said almost nothing. And I kind of thought, ah, bad sign. Mm-hmm. I always think that's a bad sign. When the studio can't explain it to you in a sentence, you know, I always think they got no story there. And so I went in a little suspicious, um, but I walked out just loving this movie. I thought it was such a great, opulent, gorgeous-looking horror film. Uh, I love the I love the, the 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 time setting of it. I love the costumes. I love I love Allerdale Hall, which is just the haunted mansion to end all haunted mansions. It's it's you know it's, it's not got enough the creaky elevator that's a cage. <laughs> It's, not, it's got the. It's got that great basement, as every mansion should. Yes, um, it's, it's got the holes in the ceiling where it snows into the main yeah, it's, chambers. It's, it's not enough. It's not enough for the ceiling to just be rotted. It's actually just a giant hole in the top of the ceiling that leaves and snow are falling through. I, that just cracked me up. And oh, I, that giant bathtub that you have to step up into. Yes. Oh God, it's just fantastic. Oh right? yeah, the dog that runs up and down the hallway playing fetch with you. Right. And where's that ball coming from? Who Ooh. threw that ball? Who's doing that? Love it. Loved it from start to finish. There, the the beginning of this of this movie is so beautiful and has such a uh, kind of a, a Jane Austen feel to it. You know, there there the scene the movie is split a little bit in two in terms of uh, uh, oh Jane Austen then Jane Eyre. Yeah, right. That's, exactly. That's what it is. Exactly. It's like split you know, down the there's middle. the American scenes, the beginning, and then there's the English scenes that form the bulk of the movie. But I have to say, when the when the the movie's kind of first act finishes, I kind of thought. Well, that was great right there. I, oh, I was I, kind of sad to leave the first act because yeah, I, I loved it and it's beautiful. And, but, oh, when we get to the new world, yes. it's pretty fantastic. It's great. <laughs> oh, it's my great. disappointment disappeared as soon as we got to England. I will say uh, I sort of understand why the studios wanted to keep the plot uh, close, to the, close to their vest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I will say the one thing that uh, – two things that kind of bugged me about the movie. One was the CGI which I didn't like in the ghosts. The mm-hmm. ghosts in this film are CGI generated, and they don't jibe to me with the with the rest of this movie, which has such an old-fashioned, very tactile, very real feeling. The ghosts I was a little less pleased with still. Um, and the plot, I just will say, you can kind of see what's coming pretty far away. Oh, I don't mind that. But I didn't mind it either. I don't <laughs> care. I, I just, the I whole time, I just kept thinking, oh, I can't wait till they get to the scene where X, yes. you know, because I know that scene's coming. And it was so well done and so well acted. And Tom Hiddleston is so good. He is so good. He's, and Jessica Chastain. Oh, she's great, Jessica too. Jessica Chastain is so completely over the top without ever raising her voice. Oh, she's great. She will say something in a borderline whisper that's way more menacing than anybody else could say if they were yelling and holding an axe. Yes. She's just terrific. Yes. And just a note about the art direction here. It is so beautiful and over the top and so vivid. And Guillermo del Toro is not afraid to go 
all the way to 11 with every scene exactly. here. And it's not just good enough that the clay is leaking up through the earth, but now it's snowing and you can see the clay leaking through yes. the snow. Yes, exactly. You, things like that. All the dresses being made. There's one scene in particular I'm thinking of where you look at Jessica Chastain's dress and it's got to be made out of 50 yards of blue velvet. And, right. You know, all the clothes are over the top. The castle's yeah. over the top. The scenery's over the top. I thought this was Great fun and just beautiful to look at. Me too. I thought it was. A, I thought it was a great date. Um, again, it's 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 scary. It's it's a little violent. It's rated R, um, but I don't think it's uh, needlessly gory. It's not gross out, horrible guts and brains necessarily. Um, so I think you know, even if you are a little bit squeamish about horror movies, I still think this would be a great date for you. Oh, I agree. I think that Crimson Peak is a great gothic romance. Good scares, and yes, violent. But I'm okay with that. All right, well, stay with us, because after the break, it's time for some sweatpants. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. All right, Rafer, it's time for some stretchy pants. You're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. Who am I, the Queen of England? I don't know, does the Queen of England only wear sweatpants? When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. Kristen, what do we got for sweatpants this week? I have these ones that have the little ankle band on them because, you know, the sweatpants now are now more high-end and bringing the ankle band back. I hate the ankle you band. You don't like the ankle band? No, don't do the ankle band. You're going to bring that back? No, it's, it's, it is back, Rafer. I'm not bringing it back. It's already back. It's, it's, you're telling me it's already back. Yes, and you can wear them with little ballet flats, with sneakers, the little ankle band. You're well, looking at me very mad about I'm this. Just try, I'm just, I'm, ment- I'm mentally searching my closet for my ballet flat. <laughs> and I'm coming up empty. All right. Well, put on those ankle band sweatpants, Kristen, and tell us what's in store. All right. So this week, we're talking about a new show called Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Now, this is a musical drama comedy that was originally being developed for Showtime, so has a lot of uh, pedigree to it. However, in the end, Showtime decided they weren't going to air it, and it moved over to the CW, and the CW said, we're going to develop the show to be slightly different than what you originally had planned. Rather than a half-hour little musical show, it's going to be a full hour, and it's going to have a lot of the same content as originally planned, but we're going to make this a bigger show. So as far as the content, it centers on a woman who is in her mid-20s, and she's a high-powered attorney living in New York, but 10 years ago... Back when she was in camp, in summer camp, there was this guy named Josh who she just had the best summer of her life with Josh. She sure did. She loved that Josh. Things ended at the end of the summer. She moved on. She, as I was saying, is now a lawyer and she's about to become partner. They're going to offer her this job. And at the same time, she's feeling not so happy about life. Nothing really quite gets her going, you know. Her mom's a little bit overbearing. She's feeling neurotic. She takes a lot of medications to help with her anxiety and so on. And She's just thinking, you know, when was the last time I was happy? Oh, that one summer with Josh in summer camp. (laughs) Anywho, here's a clip. Josh? Josh! Josh! Pickle punch? (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Josh, yeah. (laughs) Appearing out of nowhere after, what, I mean, 10 years? Wow. Wow. Oh, my God. This is weird, right? Yeah. This This is so weird. Yeah, I haven't seen you since... 
you, you didn't come back the next summer um, camp, yeah, right? Yeah, my mom made me do mock trial, and then yeah. I did it the next summer, so, you know, yeah. I'd always hope I'd run into you one day. Ah, yes, just as she's about to be offered her partnership, she runs into Josh there on the street, as we heard. Josh Chan, who reminds her of how magical things once felt in her life. Now, Josh is moving back to West Covina, which is two hours from the beach, four in traffic. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And, and, and what are we going to do if we're Rebecca, this crazy young lawyer? We're going to give up that partnership and we're going to move out there too. And also, it must be pointed out that throughout all of this drama with Rebecca and Josh and the partnership and moving to California, we have singing. Yes. Yes. Well, I think that the singing part is part of what um, is going to set this series apart, right? And uh, you were saying uh, the idea that the CW wanted to make this a much bigger production, and you can see that in the musical numbers, uh, at least from the opening, from the pilot. Um, there's that one big number that, that she sings when she comes to Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, at, at first it looks like the kind of musical number you would expect to see in a television series until you get to the end and all of a sudden, you know, the cast of thousands comes out and the marching bands and it becomes this huge thing, you know, with a giant prop and a, a whole, you know, crane shot, the whole deal. And I could tell like, oh, they're really, they're really going for it here. Um, I will say they kind of lose that, though, uh, much of the way through the, through the series. I, I, I feel like um, the, the musical numbers kind of – they come in and out. They kind of flicker, I guess I would say. And at some point, I began to feel that the show would have been just as enjoyable without them. I, don't, Ooh, I didn't really find them that necessary. I didn't think it necessarily jibed with the, the story or the tone of the – of the premise. Do you know what I'm saying? It mm -hmm. just kind of seemed like everyone kind of bursts into song and there's a sort of a Schumer-esque quality, I think, to some of the musical <laughs> numbers, but it just, it didn't really seem to belong there to me. What, what, what did you think? Well, I'm a sucker for all musicals. That's true. You, you are. No, I'm a musical sucker. We already talked about Meet Me in St. Louis, but you know, one of the things I really appreciated about this is all of the music is diegetic. It springs right out of those moments and it's not like, Oh, let's all put on a show, and we're watching them put on a show like on Glee. Yes. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or it's not like Meet Me in St. Louis scenes where they're like, "Let's gather around the piano and sing." Uh -huh, it's more yeah. like Meet Me in St. Louis scenes where you're on the trolley singing. Which yes, right. I really love that. People I think they burst into song. They actually burst into song. Yes. Whatever they're feeling at that moment, whether it's getting ready for a date or moving across the country or whatever it is, you burst into song and you. Do it in a way that is ridiculous. And yes. there's one scene where they're wearing Spanx getting ready for a date, which I think is just terrific. They're all singing <laughs> in Spanx, her and all of her backup singers. Right. Um, and that, that's, the, that's sort of that's got that that's got the Schumer-esque uh, uh, quality to it. I oh, think yeah. that particular number. But but it's really it's only the thing is, it's only Rachel Bloom, the actress, uh, the lead actress. It's really only her character who ever bursts into song. No, no, no other side character ever comes out and gives an I want song or uh, or anything. Do you know what I'm saying? It's really mm -hmm. just her. And I um, wonder if that's going to change as the series goes on, because all that's possibly. been released so far was the pilot. Right. And I mean, what we know also about her is she's decided to throw away all of her uh, medications. Yes, she's also so, mentally unstable. <laughs> yes. So now, because she's not on her medications, we don't really know, you know, right. how, how exactly things are going to go for her. And I think right. a lot of the singing is about saying out loud those things that are in tumult inside of her head right now because right. she's not on her medications. And I appreciate that. I think that's a really clever way to get inside this character's head, which is already going in a lot of different directions. I thought this. I thought the whole pilot was 
kind of enjoyable and cute, and I like the idea. I like the idea of someone just, you know, sort of losing it and running out to California and making this bizarre, crazy move based on really almost literally nothing. Um, and that's got some 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 juice to it, I think, as a premise. Um, the, one of the co-creators on this is uh, Aileen Brosh McKenna, the screenwriter, who's had a series of, I guess you'd call them, um, big hits and big misses. Uh, 27 Dresses, Devil, Devil Wears Prada, We Bought a Zoo. Um, <laughs> probably be in the, in the miss uh, category. The new Annie. Um, so, you know, but I think she does have, there is something about, about Aileen Brosh McKenna that she understands, I think, the kind of, contemporary young woman of this kind of age, this kind of like 30, I would say. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That seems to be kind of her, 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 her sweet spot there. But I don't know. Would I go back and keep watching this as the series unfolds? For me, probably not. I thought it was an okay sweatpants date. I would watch it if my wife wanted to, but I'm not. I'm not sure I'm going to be the one to drive that date to the, to the couch. I'm going to be sitting on the couch watching every episode of this. I just want to see where it goes. I love the premise of it, and I think that there are a lot of great ways that musicals can be used to relay feelings that aren't necessarily being said out loud. And if done well, it can be an incredibly inventive way to tell a story. So I want to see what happens next to my crazy ex-girlfriend. So I'm saying good sweatpants days. Hey Josh, I want to look good for you tonight. So I'm going to get in touch with my feminine side. All right, Rafer, it's time to wrap things up. To say adieu to you and you and you and... What? Just say adieu one more time for me. Just one more time. To you and you and you. Adieu. Thank you so much. But what was I starting to sing there? Oh, what was well, that? well, well, well. Let's get to that. Uh, you were starting to sing a little something from last week's trivia question. We had been talking about uh, Steve Jobs, the new movie. And uh, one of the things in that film, which takes place partly in 1984, is that the composer used vintage synthesizers, uh, Roland synthesizers. And we found a pretty famous theme song from that same year, 84, that used real Roland synthesizers back before they became vintage. And we played you this song. Mm, that's from a movie soundtrack. Yeah, we all know that song. And we got this incredibly inventive and energetic answer. Hey, they're Rafer and Kristen. I am calling with the answer to this week's trivia question. My name is Jeff Gingrich, and I am calling from Jersey with the answer to the question. This song is called Urkel FM. It's from the movie Beverly Hills Cop, and it stars Eddie Murphy. Yeah, 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 yeah. You said it was in 1984, but I don't remember it because I was the only kid who never saw the movie. Oh, no, I didn't, and I will say good. To you this week, but I do love your show, and I can't wait to hear it next week. Yeah. <laughs> 
Jeff Gingrich. <laughs> oh, my God. Longtime listener Jeff raising the bar for all trivia answer listeners from now on. Jeff, you have a worse sense of rhythm than I do, maybe. <laughs> no, don't say that. <laughs> Jeff, you're wonderful. It was awesome, though. I loved that. We loved that. Oh, so great. So Jeff, great. Jeff Gingrich, longtime caller. And, uh, you know, at first we kind of thought, oh, can we, you know, we, we, we play Jeff a lot, but that was just too good to pass too up, good. man. It was just too good. Too good. Okay, so what's this week's trivia? All right, so this week, in honor of singing lawyers like Rebecca and my crazy ex-girlfriend, we have a clip of a movie in which there's also a singing lawyer. Here's that clip. Razzle-dazzle them, and they'll never catch flies. Can't be too many singing lawyers out there. Oh, there are more than you would think, Rafer. Really? So many singing lawyers. I wish all lawyers sang. But then I also wish all street <laughs> gangs danced, much like... West Side Story. But this is not West Side Story, just so you know. No, that's nope. true. Uh, all right. If you know the name of that movie with that singing lawyer, give us a call, 5717movies. Or you can message us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. Bagel. Razzle, dazzle, and they'll beg you for more.